0: We can put our hands together. Amazing the work God's doing in our midst at this moment. Let's pray and then we're going to hear from God's Word together, yeah. Uh, God, I do believe uh, that you, you, uh, you need to speak to us, Lord, because as you speak, you lead us into what you have for us. And so I'm praying that tonight, uh, wherever we've come from, maybe we just find ourselves here for the first time tonight or maybe for... The 100th time, Lord, that in this moment we would be open to you, God, speaking to us and that we, as you speak to us, would respond in obedience, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, I want to give you my welcome as well. Um, my name is Matt. If I haven't met you, would love to meet you at some point. We've got food trucks after tonight. How good is that? Uh, we don't have to go anywhere for dinner. We can get it right here. Uh, this sermon tonight is brought to you by the manger. So uh, thank you guys for bringing that on. That's awesome. What comes to your mind when I say uh, the word royalty or kingship or glory? What's the the picture that that, that comes into your mind when I say that? At the moment, uh, not really at the moment, a little while ago, my wife and I, we watched a bit of The Crown, that series on Netflix. I don't know if anyone's watched that. Uh, Pretty good series. We didn't mind it. I'm not old enough to know whether everything's historically true, but it's interesting nonetheless. In some of these scenes, there's the splendor of the Queen's, you know, her coronation. Everything is perfect. Everyone is watching. She's got the biggest, the best of everything. She's being served, waited on hand and foot. There was this scene in one of the ones that I saw where she... Uh, she has this retreat that she goes to in Ireland in the summer. It looks brutally cold. Like I'm thinking, you need to come to Queensland for the summer. But, uh, but she goes to Ireland and, and she was going hunting on this one particular episode. And what actually happened was she, she would sort of go out and she'd be leading the, leading the pack and then... And then when she wanted to shoot, they'd hand her the gun and she'd shoot, you know, in hunting. And then she'd give it back to them and they'd sort of undo the barrel and reload and everything. And then they'd give it back to her. Like absolutely everything done for her, driven driven around. She's probably never cooked a meal in her life. Royalty, glory. Uh, For a lot of you, that's not going to be it. For a lot of you, it's going to be a Taylor Swift concert. Royalty. Or Beyonce, I don't know, I'm not really up to date on these things. Glamorous, everything perfectly put together, crowds calling out her name. People are weeping, does, does that still happen? Like people are just crying, Taylor Swift, oh my gosh. Uh, maybe for you it's Wally Lewis, the king, you know what I mean? Wally, the king, and uh, that's your picture of royalty, of glory. Uh, just this last week, we, uh, I don't know whether we, uh, you knew this, but we had a, a seniors' service, a senior's Christmas service in the church, and we had a whole heap of seniors, and we sung carols and a whole heap of things, and, and this week, I got to make my debut as Joseph. Gemma and I were Mary and Joe, and yeah, thank you, thank you. Audrey, uh, she's a girl, but she was playing little baby Jesus, and that was awesome, and, uh, and I'd never done this before. So we walked in, you know, down through the crowd and we came up onto the stage just about here. And I, to be honest, I'd, I'd known for about a week that I was going to do it, but I'd put no thought to it. I'm like, you know, just when you're a pastor, there's things you do. And I'm like, okay, this is just another thing that I'm going to do. So anyway, I walk up onto the stage and then I get up there and I was just overwhelmed. I was like, man, this is incredible to represent this sacred, incredibly precious Moment and, uh, and as I was up there, I saw the manger and I'm like, what is with this? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I, I don't think I'd fully wrestled with, with what this is um, before. You know, we've had a fairly recent experience of birth in our family, so I know a, a little bit what that I- is about. And I want to tell you, I would not want to put my daughter in a place, if you didn't know, the manger is where animals feed from, right? This is not just. It looks beautiful and glamorous when our creative team have put it up here all nicely, but I want to tell you this is not what the manger that Jesus was in looked like. The manger is an animal feeding trough. It's uh, it would have been dirty. It would have been horrific. And the thing that was going through my head that I want us to ask tonight is: Is this fit for a king? Is this fit for a king? That's what I want us to to ask here tonight and see if we can come to an answer on. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke mentions the manger three times in his narrative. He's actually the only gospel writer that mentions the manger, but he's trying to make a real point about it. So we're going to read from verses 1 through 7. In those days, you would have heard this story, but, but I hear it afresh again tonight. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, that, a lot of people think that that's kind of an arrogant thing, you know what I mean? When, when you're in charge, you count how many people are a part of your kingdom. This was the first census that took place while Quir- Quirinus was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David." So Mary and Joe make their way up. They got to go to uh, Joe's home hometown, and they, they make their way. It's busy, right? Because everyone's going to their hometown, so the hotels are booked. And they get to the hotel. They get to the inn, and it's it's fully booked. No vacancy. No more room. And so, and Mary's literally about to burst. She's ready to have this kid. What do you think? Um, worldly royalty, your picture of royalty that you thought about before, what do you think they would do in that moment? If they got to ho- the hotel, they're about to have a baby, you know, like Taylor Swift, Queen Elizabeth, they're never going to find themselves in this, in this instance anyway. But just, just say they did. Just say Donald Trump's there. He rocks up to the inn, it is full, he's there. Um, the first lady's about to have a baby. What, what, what happens in that moment with worldly power, worldly royalty? Well, they walk into the hotel, they walk into the inn and everyone sees who they are and then everyone starts to make way. Uh, they, they say, look, people who have already booked, sorry, actually, uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth is here. She needs to have the, the next king. You've got to get out. They would take up probably the whole inn. They'd have the whole inn to themselves. Everyone would be kicked out. What would your reaction be in that moment when the, when the inn's full, when the hotel was full? Your wife's about to have a baby. She needs a place to have the baby. My, my reaction would probably be to lament the situation. I'd probably be complaining. I'd be, man, this is not good, you know what I mean? Like this is, I cannot believe this. I would be working hard to convince whoever I needed that it's inappropriate for a baby to be born in the conditions of the, the stable. This is inappropriate, you know. He's the Lord of all the universe, not just of one country, not just of one city, he made the whole thing. Surely if anyone had rights to the inn, it was him. Surely if anyone could have walked in and asserted their rights at that moment to say, look, I'm being born, surely it was the king of all the universe. He's the king of glory, isn't he? By every measure of glory that our our world employs, birth in a manger fails the test. Literally like being cradled in an animal's feeding trough when you've had the baby you really do actually need somewhere to, to put them you know what I mean so that they can sleep so that they can uh, rest and 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 they just you know you can't hold them the whole time and, and and literally that is what Jesus was put in not not this pretty thing like an animal's feeding trough this is not the way that kings are to be born To be honest, the process of birth itself isn't all that neat and perfect of a process. It's not really something that you would think the creator should have to go through in the first place. How is it right for the king of all the world not only to be born, but to be born into a manger? How is that right? One way, the church has tried to reconcile this for a long time, and one way that we try to do this is by thinking, well, actually Jesus is forsaking his glory in this moment by, by coming to earth and being born in a manger. Jesus is, is giving it up. He's leaving his glory in heaven. This is a, a slight, this is an aberration on God's real glory. This is not his, his glory. But listen to John 1:14. The word became flesh made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Is John forgetting the manger here? John the apostle who wrote those words? Is John excluding the cross the most shameful way that, that a Jew could ever think to die? I mean, that is the cross is the ultimate shame, let alone the manger. One of my weaknesses is directions. I'm very directionally challenged, navigationally challenged. I drive everywhere with maps unless I've been there like more than five times. And, uh, and my wife, however, is quite good. Uh, there's probably some that are better than her, but she's quite good. And so, you know, when we've traveled a little bit, it's been so good because she generally knows where she's going. She'll try to do it without the map, but I'll just pull up the map, you know what I mean? Uh, usually it's the other way around. It's the guy trying to say they know where to go, but not me. Like, I know that I'm, I'm challenged in this area. Anyway, one night, Gemma and I, uh, I think this was actually before we were married. I think we were only engaged at the time. We were, we were both going to the same place, someone's house. can't remember the occasion. And it was in a location that neither of us were familiar with. And uh, we were in separate cars on this particular occasion, but, but we, both, uh, we, we both drove there. And it was in the afternoon. And when we went to leave, it was, it was then nighttime. And we both went to leave at the exact same time. And I thought to myself in this moment, I'm like, you know, there's only one way to get better, isn't there? There's only one way to get better. If you're directionally challenged, there's only one way to get better. Just put the maps away and give it a crack. And so I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to give this a crack in this moment. So I didn't get out the maps. I'm trying to think through, okay, did I turn right or left into this street? I'm not 100% sure. I'm trying to remember, you know, how you're doing that when you're trying to remember where you've come from. So anyway, here I go. I'm going to give this a crack. So uh, we we left at the same time. We both got in our cars, and I start driving in a particular direction. Uh, We were going to the same place, actually. We were on our way to the same place, and Gemma drives straight back past me in the opposite direction. And uh, so I've got a decision to make in this moment, right? (laughs) I've got a decision to make. Either I can say, man, she has no idea where she's going, or I can humble myself and say, look, I think I'm actually going the wrong way. Do a U-turn and start, start to follow her. John 1:14. I wanna read it to you again. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The manger and indeed the cross is Jesus driving back past the world in the opposite direction. The manger is Christ seeking to break our categories of glory and shame. The world's version of glory, and shame rest on the externality of circumstances. Let me explain this to you. Those who are considered glorious in our world are those who are served, who have hordes of people waiting on them, getting them things for them. Whereas the shameful, the lonely, are those who are the servants. The glorious, according to our world, have perfection of image and, and possessions, whereas the lonely, the, the lonely have imperfections and lack. The glorious of our world have the capacity, whether by finances or or privilege or status or position, to control their circumstances through their power. Whereas the lowly and the shameful are those who are dictated to by others in our world. So Jesus comes into this world without title, without societal status, without privilege, into a manger. What, what is actually a place that would be considered for the lowly, for the shameful, a place of the, what the world would say humiliation and he goes eventually to a cross and in all of those moments he says, behold my glory. Jesus' glory does not rest on any circumstance. Jesus's glory is who he is. It's his personhood alone that makes God glorious. He needs no entourage. He needs no amount of followers on social media. He doesn't need an army of angels for us to consider him glorious. He doesn't need bright shining clothes to make him glorious. He is glorious. His nature, his essence is a king. It doesn't need to be justified by any external circumstances. It is the truth. It is what it is. It stands alone. His glory stands alone. The narrative of Scripture is not that that Christ leaves his glory behind in heaven, but rather that he brings his glory because his glory is who he is, not where he is. Colossians 2.9, the fullness of God, the deity, dwells in Christ. Nothing left out, no glory left anywhere. The fullness is in him. Jesus' glory is not informed by his circumstances like the world des- defines and describes glory. His glory is who he is. So they get to the inn. There's no room, totally full. Mary's about to have a baby. Far be it from Jesus to kick someone out of the inn to serve himself and his own plight and his own comfort at the expense of another. Let's go to the manger. Let's go to the manger. There's no problem for me with the trough. The trough is fine. The trough is not shame for me. The trough is not a problem for me. In fact, if I lie in the manger, it will help them to realize that my glory is not what they think it is. My glory is not like the glory of kings and rulers of the world. My glory stands alone. The king of glory lies as a baby in what others, certainly the kings of this world, would be embarrassed about, shamed about, humiliated about. And in doing so, he turns something which is dirty into something which is beautiful. What we consider lowly and shame does not diminish his glory. His glory breaks through what we call shame and humiliation. It cannot be inhibited, it cannot be diminished If Jesus was old enough to comprehend what's happening at this point, there would be no thought of, man, this is unfair for me. I'm the king. There would be no thought of, well, I'm too good for this. There would be no thought of, man, my life is off to a bad start. Jesus had the fullness of life everywhere he went, everywhere, the manger, the cross, everywhere. The wonder of the manger It's not that God is giving up his glory to lie in it, but that by lying in it, he reveals where his glory is really found. What his glory truly is, it's him. He gives weight to himself. Nothing else gives weight to him Uh, you would have heard this story before, but it just suits so perfectly what, what we're looking at tonight. There's a violinist by the name of Joshua Bell. He's world famous, and I'm not, I don't follow, um, do you call that violinning? I don't know. I don't, I don't follow violinists very much. So I don't even know where they play, but he plays in all the mega things where great violinists plays. He sells out the stadiums. Where Do they play in stadiums? I'm not sure. I should have researched this a bit more. Anyway, in, uh, in 2007, so, so people buy tickets, you know what I mean? Like expensive tickets, big tickets, big stadiums, and he plays this beautiful, I love the violin. I do love the violin. He plays this beautiful violin. In 2007, he did an experiment. You would have heard about this, but it, it's just perfect. In 2007, he donned a baseball cap and he played as a busker while in the Washington Subway. In the time that he was playing, 1,097 people passed directly past him. You know, not just in the vicinity, like walked past him playing. Of those 1,097 people, only seven stopped to even listen. And only one actually recognized who he was. He made $52.17 that morning. A world famous violinist. $20 20 of that, $20 of that was given by the one person who recognized him and thought, what's he doing in the subway? <laughs> Joshua thought to himself, let's see what happens when I remove all the show, all the image, all the external circumstances, all the, the things that, that make my my violin what it is, and just play. And everyone missed it bar one person because they weren't looking for it. They had an image of what greatness and glory was, and and a busker in a Washington subway was not that. This is what I want you to get tonight if you get nothing else. As long as we are defining glory as the world defines it, we will miss the glory of Jesus. As long as we are defining glory and power and success and greatness as the world defines it, you will miss, I will miss the glory, the greatness, the wonder of Jesus. We will have to presume that the manger is him sacrificing his glory, which is somewhere else. His real glory, which in our minds is actually defined by the world's notion of glory, by rulers and kings and powerful people. This opening scene in the life of God incarnate sets the tone for his entire journey, Jesus' entire revelation while on this earth. The manger is saying to us tonight, the word of the manger tonight is, if you come to me with your own notions of glory, of what is desirable, of what is success and greatness, of what a king should be, you will miss me. I wanna tell you, he does not want you to miss him. He doesn't. If we come to Jesus with our notions of glory and success and greatness, we will get to the cross, which, which the New Testament describes as Jesus' coronation. You know how the queen has a coronation? This is Jesus, the son of God's coronation. We will come to the cross and it won't make any sense to us. This is what happened to James and John, Jesus' disciples before he went to the cross. And they, they were at disadvantage because Jesus hadn't done it yet and, and they would come to understand eventually. But they're walking with Jesus and they say to Jesus, When you come into your glory, they use that word, that exact word. When you come into your glory, Jesus, can we sit on your right and on your left? Jesus has a beautiful, loving heart towards them, merciful heart towards them. He says, look, guys, you don't actually know what you're asking for. They had a a worldly notion of power and of glory and of greatness that Jesus was going to bring. A wrong vision of his glory. Jesus um, replies beautifully, he actually says, he he originally says you can't go where I'm going but then he says you will and then he says the places on my right and my left when I come into my glory have already been determined by my father. The criminals hung on Jesus' right and on his left as he's lifted up for all the world to see his glory on display. Jesus's kingdom and kingship is not like that of worldly kingdoms. Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The manger is an invitation to us tonight, whether you're online, online here tonight or here in the room. It's an invitation for us to look at Jesus, not through the worldly lens of glory, but rather to come to him and say, you, Jesus, show me your glory. I don't know what it is. This is how the world defines it. The is saying it's something else. Show it to me. What is your greatness? What is your glory? What is your majesty, your power that we read about? The shepherds who were low in the world's order were invited to come and and look upon Jesus' glory in the manger. The magi from the east, the high in the worldly order were invited to come and look upon the glory of Jesus in the manger. I want to ask you tonight, do you see his glory? When you look at the manger, when you look at the cross, do you see glory or do you see shame? Do you see greatness or do you see humiliation? Do you see power and strength and love and beauty or rejection and downtroddenness? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You will know how you are defining glory because what you will consider glorious is the thing that you want to see more of. You can't help it. It's glorious. I want to see more of it. Show me more of it. It's amazing. It's amazing. What we consider glorious is what we want more of. Is that thing Jesus? Is Jesus glorious to you? I'm not talking about an image of heaven, whether that's glorious. I'm not talking about even the things that he does. Although they are great, although heaven is given splendor because of who he is, do you find him glorious? Jesus Christ the revelation of God to the world the truth is tonight and I was so aware of this as I was preparing the truth is that that words my words are totally insufficient for you to be able to see his glory you will not be able to see his glory just by listening to my words The Bible is amazing. We go to the Bible to to see who God is, but I want to tell you, if you could read the Bible and totally miss God's glory. There, There were people standing at the cross, witnessing it, and they missed his glory. So how do we see it? John 16, 13 to 14. This is how we see his glory. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit of God, the gift given to the world reveals Jesus' glory to us. We can work hard to think through it and and to, to, to grasp it with our own comprehension and our own rational, logical thought. Without the Spirit, we will miss it. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said here, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. In other words, he will show you my glory. And this is what 2 Corinthians 3.17 says. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about our need for life. Our need for freedom from release of these things in our, in our lives that hold us guilt, anger, jealousy, fear, rage, discontent, the, the need for release from these things. The invitation of the manger tonight is that as you see the glory of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ in ever-increasing glory. This is the beautiful message of Christmas. This is the gospel that God has stepped in, written himself in, left none of his glory in heaven, given us the full thing. Not only did he give us the full thing, He then says, I'm going to give you my spirit, which will reveal in your heart the full thing. So many people spent time with Jesus, did not see his glory. The Holy Spirit is what sheds the love of God abroad in our heart, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that's the invitation tonight. If you want to see his glory, we simply come to him and say, show me. This was the prayer that Moses prayed. Show me your glory. Are we hungry to see that? Do we want to see his glory? If we want to see it and we come to him, he will show it to us. He's not holding out on us. He will reveal it. And we will move from the place that we are in into ever-increasing glory to reflect his image. And life will flow in. The life that he had all the time when he was in the manger, when he was in the cross, it will flow into us. Our lives will be transformed. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time here tonight. That's okay. The first time is, is, is good enough. And so I want to invite us to pray. And uh, for us to ask God this Christmas, that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he might show us his glory. God, we do. I thank you, God, that you didn't leave anything. You you showed us the fullness of who you are. The whole world is, is... Thinking, where is God? Where is God? You stepped in, you wrote yourself into the story, high and lifted up on the cross, coronation, fullness of glory on display, the pinnacle of your glory shown to us. And God, I want to say that I am hungry here tonight to see your glory. In the past, I have hungered for the world's version of glory. Maybe I've even tried to imprint that on you. But God, tonight we come as a collective, as a church, and we say, Jesus, we wanna see your version of glory. Not informed by circumstances, not diminished by circumstances, stands alone, perfect, perfect glory in a manger. All the things that we might attribute glory to stripped away, in your mercy, you did that so that we would know that you alone are enough. We don't need some set of circumstances. We just need you. We just need you, God. We just need to see you. And when we see you, everything will change in our lives. Everything will change. And God, you said that you would pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we might know you. And that is what I ask for me tonight, Lord. And I I pray that there would be others asking that tonight. Lord, make us hungry to see you, to know you, God. what you can do for us, just you, hungry to know you. God, I believe that as we hunger and thirst after you, our lives will be radically different. Your glory will will become our glory. God, I pray that this Christmas maybe for the first time some would taste and see that you are good, that you are good. And uh, this moment is a good enough moment, Lord. I don't see any reason why you couldn't show some your glory now in this moment. If we're willing to be obedient to you, to say whatever you, hey, I want you to do this. If we're obedient to that, willing to do that, there's nothing holding us back. And so Holy Spirit, even as we sing this now, As we come to adore You, we're gonna sing these words. Come, let us adore Jesus. Holy Spirit, show us who He is. I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna stand together and sing this song and I just wanna invite you to make that prayer during this song. God, show me Your glory. Show me who Jesus is.
1: God, that as we surrender, as we lay down our lives before a holy God, that You would reveal Your glory in and through us, that you use us in this world around us, Father God, Your glory would shine through us, great God. Oh, we love You so much, Lord, we do pray, we wanna pray corporately right now, at the end of this service, we wanna pray this Christmas, these Christmas services would just be more powerful than ever before because Your glory would come and shine through in a mighty mighty way that people would encounter You, encounter Your glory in a way, Father God, they've never experienced before. We pray in Jesus' Name for testimony after testimony to flow out of this Christmas season as people experience Your glory in Jesus' mighty Name. We pray for all these things, for Your glory, not for ours. It's Your church, it's Your work, it's Your mission You began. And you will bring to completion, almighty God, all for your glory. You're a glorious God. We love you. We worship you. You're amazing. You're amazing. So we thank you. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good. How good is it to be a church and just worshiping our great God. Great to have you online as well. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. I pray you have an awesome week. Whatever you're doing this week, that God might use you powerfully. Uh, If you wanna uh, chat to us in the welcome land, you're welcome to do that. Uh, We should have a party now. Let's go and have some food outside and hang out and party. That'd be awesome. Come and join us next time if you're online. We'd love to party with you. But God bless you. See you soon. See you next Sunday.